What's going on, Military Cash Flow family? Today, we got an awesome guest. Uh, but first, uh, what's going on with you today, Mike? What's up, man? Uh, you know, today we have Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving's going on. We're actually hosting it here in the apartment. So they're all coming over. Because I'm hosting, I ain't cook shit. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just going to eat everything. I'm, hey, y'all come to Provide the space. The space. <laughs> exactly. That's what I brought to the party. Uh, food is, so, food is your rent. Uh, yeah, food, yeah, food is the fee. And uh, in addition to that, we're also doing, so we do book club, you know, and I don't really talk about this too much on here, but we do uh, within the Five Pillars community, and really it's open to anybody who wants to attend, but we do a, uh, like a quarterly book club. And this month's book is The Like Switch, which is, uh, it's, it's the same context. And anybody who reads, per, you know, personal development books is damn near the same thing every time, right? But The Like Switch is very akin to, uh, how to win friends and influence people and things like that, right? It's basically how to make people like you, which, uh, you know, I can go on a whole diatribe about that, but it's going to be a nice little, good little mix of um, uh, just getting together with some people, eating some damn good food. And then we're also going to have the book club with it as well, man. So it's a fun little day for me. What about you, man? What you got going? Yeah, man. Um, I, so we got friends giving the day too. We're going over someone else's house. So we're bringing the, bringing the stuff. I, bringing I didn't know how, yeah, I didn't know how popular that was, man. Like until oh, it's this everywhere. Is like, yeah. It's like the second year we've done it. And I, I really didn't know it was like super popular. It's a like thing. That, but, I'm right there um, with you, man. With the first invite I ever got to friends giving, I'm like, uh, I mean, is there food? Yeah. But I didn't realize, like you said, like it was, it's, a it's real like thing. an actual legit, like, Hey, friends giving, this is <laughs> right. <laughs> this is it's it on is, the calendar. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, man. So we got our friends giving today as well. And, um, if you guys heard any noise in the background, like at the beginning of the show, we had a bunch of kids over the house last night. Um, so, you know, doing s'mores and jumping on trampolines late at night and stuff like that. My, nice. um, there was a military ball, like a, you know, third ID ball or whatever. So, uh, we didn't go to, so all of our friends dropped their kids off. Dropped the kids off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, but yeah, that's what do you, what do you bring? What do you bring it to the, uh, to the Friendsgiving? Bro, I don't know. I'm not bringing anything. You walk in with some straws. You yeah. got no but straws and like just plastic forks, not the rest of the shit. I, I, I don't, like, my wife is doing something. I know she's already got it pretty much, you know, under control. I just don't know what, yeah. she's, what she's bringing to it. She just told me, Hey, we got Friendsgiving this weekend, like three days ago. And I'm like, okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just yeah. there for the ride. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, that's pretty much what's up. In, uh, what's been up with me, man? Hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, should be closing on this uh, this refinance really yep. soon. Yeah, um, if not next week, the week after. Yeah, yeah we're, we're we're in the tail end phases of it finally. So really looking forward to that. And um, that's pretty much it, man. Um, today's guest, right? We got um, John Bucklew. Bucklew. Yeah, buddy. And. Yeah, Buckaloo. I wanted to say Buckaloo, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got John Buckaloo. And uh, man, he, I love his story, dude. Like, I really, yeah. really love his story. He, he especially the, you know, the transition, uh, the transition out of the military and um, moving up to D.C. And, and how he, you know, kind, kind of how he creatively found his way uh, in real estate. Uh, Mike? Yeah, man. So John, so for those who don't know, me and John go back. We were actually on the same ODA together on the same special forces uh, detachment. Um, and when I first started my real estate journey, I mean, literally in 2016 or whatever it was, I had a conversation with John and his wife. And I was like, look, guys, this is what I'm doing, this, that, and third. And, I, and at that time, I was just like searching for for somebody to understand what the, you know, what I was going through or just who was, might've been interested. And at the time he, we just planted the seed, but he wasn't quite ready. But to hear how his journey has progressed since then, how he got out of the military, did this job, da, 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 da. And then it wasn't until December of last year, December of 2020, when he decided to start. And now he has 29 units and most of it was uh, creative financing. It's just, it's just, it's amazing to see what can happen with extreme clarity and extreme focus. And we're going to get into a lot of that too. We're all going to talk about a crazy deal, but we're really going to be talking about mindset this time, man. So again, without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. 
We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, military cash flow family? Today, we do have a special guest because it's an old teammate of mine, Sir John Bucklew. What's going on, man? What's going on, Michael? I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So just give the audience a kind of a quick rundown, a brief background about who you are, where you came from, and a little bit about what you are doing right now in the real estate space. Yeah, so John Bucklew, I'm 36 years old, turns 37 here in a few weeks. Um, grew up with a large family, nine siblings, which certainly has impacted uh, you know, where I've come from and where I'm going. Um, always wanted to serve in the military um, at the ripe young age of 27, finally decided to jump in and do it. Uh, so joined the uh, military, ended up going special forces, as you know. Um, somehow they, uh, they forgot to, uh, to get rid of me. So made it all the way through that long Q force pipeline. Um, somewhere around 2016, I met up with one of my, uh, my fellow teammates um, who gave me a book, which I still have. Um, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, rad radically changed my life. So I read that book and shortly after bought my first um, fix and flip, it was a living and took me about five years to buy the next property. Uh, long story short, December, 2020, uh, started buying real estate and I am up to 29 units. Amazing, man. Nice, Isn't man. This yeah, go for it. I, I got a question for you. That, that's, that's that's awesome, dude. I, I love it. Um, I want to touch on just a couple of things before we kind of jump into uh, some of the things, because you said you joined at 27, which I think is really interesting. Right. So what did you do before that time and what led you to join in the military? Because, I mean, it's 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 not common that we get a lot of people that join the military at, like later in life. So I assume you had a career before then. How did that affect, uh, I guess, where you are now? And again, you joining the military. Yeah, so I always wanted to join the service, um, but my parents were very big proponents of me going to college. So I ended up going to college, did a four-year, uh, graduated with a bachelor's degree. I was working at a gas station as an assistant manager, making okay money. Um, and then I got serious about my relationship, wanted to get married, and realized that that okay money was not good money enough to support a wife and kids and, and our new standard of living. So long story short, I um, always wanted to serve. I was looking for outs that would allow me to provide for a family. And I was like, you know what? I'm 27. I've always wanted to serve. I was like, I'm going to go down to the recruitment office. So I went down, talked to them. They gave me a trash offer, which I promptly turned down. And then finally, at the end of the day, they finally gave me something that, uh, that I was interested in. So let me ask you, man. Uh, so we talked to a lot of people who have degrees before they join and they still decide to go enlisted. What was your decision with that? So part of it was a timeline. They were telling me two to three years um, to get accepted into OCS. I'd actually oh, worked damn. with uh, the Marine Corps during college. Uh, I was supposed to fly fighters for them. Um, I had an OCS slot locked in and blew out my shoulder playing football. So they promptly kicked me to the curb. So I definitely wasn't going back through the Marine Corps. So when I was looking at, you know, joining back up, I was like, hey, let's go. I was ready to do it, um, and I didn't want to wait two to three years because that was not in my timeline. Nice. I don't even know if OCS was a delay. Like, well, I mean, the way I look at it, I guess ROTC program is is with the school, right? So you join and you just follow the school's curriculum or timeline. But OCS, I guess that's at the, the needs of the military, right? They they can usually their... usually it's like a six month turnaround, but for some reason they were telling me two to three, and I was like, nope, screw that. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of wild. Six, uh, three years or two to three years. That's why I've never heard anything like that, man. That's yeah. crazy. But uh, either way, you went, you you found your your right path, and then you you joined up, right? And you started going through the Q course, and then um, after you got in, you ran into uh, to Mike here, right? And then you got introduced to the Purple and Gold book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. What did that do for your mindset? So I'm, um, you know, being just really, uh, you know. Um, open. Uh, it was, my time in the military is very busy. Uh, Mike will tell you, I, I, don't, I don't remember if you've served or not. I think you have. Um, don't remember a lot about your background, but when you're in the service, your time is precious. And I did not take the opportunity, unfortunately, to follow up on 
the things I learned through Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was deployed, my wife counted down to the day, 78% of the time that was deployment. That didn't include pre-deployment train up, that didn't include anything else. So um, very hot and heavy in my military career out the door. And so for me, when I was home, I wanted to be home. And when I was deployed, I was busy working. Um, so when I first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, there was a seed that was planted and it took a few years to start sprouting. But the, the, uh, the initial thing that I did learn from it um, was that I did not want to always have a boss. I wanted to find something that would work for me. Um, that would be my money. And I wanted to allow it to grow and do work on its own because I only have so many hours in a day and letting my money work for me, it has an exponential factor. So, you know, what I love about this is because it, you know, you 2016 or, or right. So maybe you were 27, 28, somewhere around there when it finally spoke to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that they're taught this as a kid or, you know, oh, only the richer do this because that's how they're raised. And it's like, no, 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 you, you discovered it later. And then you made some massive changes. So my, my question to you is when you grew up with nine siblings, bro, like that is a lot of siblings. What was the discussion around money, around finances? Like what was taught in the household amongst you all? Yeah, so in my house, uh, finances weren't really discussed in detail. Um, my mom was extremely frugal growing up and I knew that. Um, but all I really knew was don't take out a lot of debt and don't spend more than you make. Um, I didn't know what my mom made. I didn't know what my dad made. Um, when I was 13, we did have a, uh, my parents went through a divorce, which obviously is a pretty big, uh, you know, hit on a kid. And I remember that there were days when, you know, a pastor from the local church would come by and drop off bags of groceries. I didn't know it at the time, but it was because we literally had nothing. So we were poor, broke, <laughs> but, um, you know, we always, we always had enough food on the table. And that's uh, that was what mattered to us. Yeah, man, humble beginnings, dude. Like, um, it seems like you, th- what, were you able to, I mean, you grew up in a large family. I know that that's extremely important to you. And especially if you come up from humble beginnings, you, you typ- typically have even a tighter knit family, right? So when you joined the military, did you, did you notice like uh, any, any kind of family or uh, I guess uh, brought that bond there? Do you think that kind of attracted you at all? I think it did. Yeah, definitely that, you know, that band of brothers that you hear so much about. That was definitely a drawing point for me, something that I, I really wanted to uh, to experience. Um, and it's true, you know, you, you don't experience a bond like that outside of anything but the military. It's, I mean, I, I, even with my, my brothers, I'm actually, I've got six brothers. Um, we're extremely close. Um, we got a text message. You know, I just got a joke sent to me a few minutes ago, you know, from these guys. And it's always something fun, um, but the military is awesome. And definitely that, that, you know, the experience of brotherhood is something that, you'll never experience anywhere else. Okay. I think I think a lot of our guests and a lot of our audience, you know, can resonate with that for sure. Um, we, we consider that a lot of times. So my question to you then is, if you always wanted to do it, you waited till you were 27 and joined, it was like a brotherhood or you experienced the brotherhood, what was your decision? What was your decisive point to step away from the military? Mm-hmm. So the decisive point for me came down to family. Um, you know, obviously being gone 78% of the time, you can imagine the, um, you know, the, the difficulties um, trying to keep the family together back home. And so for me, that, that was the decisive point was I looked to left, looked to right, see all these, you know, families that were breaking apart. You know, you know, the statistics we were talking to, uh, you know, the Green, uh, Green Beret Foundation um, CEO a few weeks ago, you know, and he, you know, I said, just the statistics of divorcees in the military in general. Uh, especially in Army Special Forces, is just through the roof. You know, you got a better chance of winning a lot other than you do of keeping your family together. So I would say for me, that was my uh, that was my decisive point. Okay. Are you are you trying to build a are you trying to build a, a nine man squad or, or like <laughs> uh, kind of like your your uh, what you grew up in? So we got we got a late start uh, with kids. Um, we don't have any yet. So I'm 36, 37. Hopefully, we'll be able to start a family here soon. But yeah, that is certainly my goal. We've always wanted a big family like I grew up in. Uh, I mean, just like old castle kids. Yeah, I, I would love to have my own fire team. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that's, dude, that's, that's dope, man. And so, so you got it. So, all right, you, you. I know you said you bought your first home, um, and it took you like five years or so to get back into it, right? What did that look like? What did that transition look like? I mean, you got out of the military, and you're like, oh crap, now what? You just lost a W two job 
right? So how, walk us through that transition. Yep. So for me, I made the decision to get out before I had another job lined up. Um, we we're living in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, we bought, like I said, it was a live and flip. Um, we actually bought the home in, in, in August. We were supposed to, or in October, we closed. In August, I stepped out the door for my first appointment. So my wife basically was at the house. We called it the cat house because there was so much cat hair that you couldn't see the walls. Um, it was nasty. Uh, we had to pull up and totally gut the flooring because of all the cat urine in there. We affectionately refer to it as the cat house. But she basically did that first live-in flip on her own while I was deployed, which is one of the uh, pieces of advice I'll give you guys up, up front and early is that never, never buy a fix and flip and then step out the door for a deployment. But that, it's not a good thing for the wife. Yeah, so I got a question for you, man. What was, all right, so for the audience who doesn't realize this, literally as I was starting my real estate journey, that's when I was having the conversations with John, right? And I remember sitting down with you and your wife, I can't remember what restaurant it was, but we were at a damn table and I showed you the book and I was talking to you and I wasn't a hundred percent sure of how I was going to do it, but I was a hundred percent sure that I wanted to do it. What was the conversation that you and your wife had during that time to allow her to get bought into saying, you know what? Yes, let's do this live in flip. Mm -hmm. So we knew that, um, you know, houses that we could afford and that we, you know, wanted to purchase was outside Mm -hmm. of our price range. So we still Mm -hmm. wanted to have a nice house in a nice area that when I deployed, I didn't have to worry about, you know, her getting in trouble or like, you know, someone breaking into the house. And so we wanted to live in a nice area and we couldn't afford to do that. So for us, it was a security issue that if we bought um, in a neighborhood that was a little bit less than what we could afford, um, you know, by getting a fix and flip, we could get the best neighborhood um, with low crime and I could be secure and safe in the fact that, you know, my wife was safe while I was deployed. So for us, that was kind of the mentality going into it. Um, Neither one of us was really thinking that this was the start of a real estate career. Uh, We were just thinking, hey, let's just buy something that we can afford to get us, you know, a little bit of peace of mind and then when did it change so we're like all right, right now, to, <laughs> now, so, now let's get serious with this thing yep so i stayed busy um obviously you know i got out of um the military in 2018 in september and that's kind of a unique uh, story in of itself because i had a job offer lined up in fayetteville i was supposed to be working down at bragg for you know x number of dollars uh, long story short got a phone call with good news bad news Bad news, uh, the job I was supposed to be walking into got pushed to the right six months. But the good news is that there was another job that was opening that was almost double pay if I wanted to move up to the DC area. Um, it was actually a blessing in disguise because I had no thoughts of moving at that point in time, but they moved me up here, doubled my salary, which has actually gave me a massive boost in order to begin um, reinvesting back into real estate. So what that did for me is um, you know, I, I invested the first few years into my job and then I just got started getting bored. Um, I'd already done everything I could do at the job. I've already learned every single position, already put together every single document that you could do. And so for me, it was a boredom factor that I'm like, this is just not, you know, it's not pushing me mentally. And so December of 2020 is when I was like, hey, I've got a little chunk of money in the bank. Uh, I'm bored. I've got some time. What can I do to make that money work for me? And started looking back over this stuff. And actually pulled out this one, pulled out Mike's book, which I still have belongs to Mike. It's got his name in the front cover, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Reread that book. Um, and then I read an audio or bought an audio copy, and my wife and I listened to it on a trip and it just exploded from there. Just no, no, no going back after that. Let me ask you about your because it's funny that you said uh, you got bored. And that specific mm-hmm. phrase to me is kind of interesting because I found that. Um, high achievers, in an essence, they get bored fairly quickly. Did, have you? Th- has this been a pattern for you throughout your life, like where you worked at the gas station, then you did the military, then you did this, and you find yourself getting bored every three to five years or so? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I always, um, and I can tell my wife, I'll be like, hey, babe, we're about six months, eight months out from some kind of big move. I don't okay. know what that is, but something's going to change. And I know just because I get bored, I'm like, hey, I've, I've you know, mastered whatever I'm working on right now. It's time to go to the next one. I'm so glad you said that, man, because this is something I struggle with personally. I always get bored. So when people are like, Mike, damn, you're doing something new. Oh, damn, you're doing something else. It's like, because you know what? I feel almost to, to in that same vein, I feel like I've mastered it to a point where even if I could learn something else, that doesn't even intrigue me anymore within that space. I want to go challenge myself and learn further. 
so, hey, for anybody listening who feels like you are in the same boat, just know that you're not alone, which is very, very uh, encouraging or refreshing. To hear. Well, that's one of the cool things, too, right? You know, with real estate, you know, I started with single family back in, you know, 2015, bought my first one. I bought actually uh, three or four since then. And then I got bored with that and went to multifamily. Now I've mastered multifamily. I'm starting to look at commercial properties. You know, there's always that next step. You know, you look, you know, whether you're expanding from, you know, 60 to 20 units or whether you're trying to go to 50 to 100 or, you know, get that, you know, first 500 unit. There's always something bigger, whether you're trying to go to syndication, um, you know, short-term rentals. I mean, there's just all these different facets of the real estate game that allows you to redirect your focus when you get bored, but you're still the the baseline values are still the same. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly said, man. And that's one that's one way to like, because real estate is so broad. Um, one, you can continue to entertain yourself within real estate, the sector alone. Right. But then also you can kind of diversify within real estate as well. So, you, I mean, you talked about going from single family to small multifamily and going into commercial. Can you walk us through some of that transition? Like, all right, um, I, we, we tracking you got your you did your first live in flip. Um it looks it seems like you learned a lot of lessons. Obviously, hey, let's not deploy after. <laughs> let's not uh, buy buy a living flip right before I deploy, right? And then, uh, what, what was your next? What, what did the what did the transition look like from there? Yeah, like I said, um, you know, I, I moved jobs, moved careers, and you know, we started to see a little bit of money accumulate in the bank, and I wanted the best dollar return on investment for that dollar. I was like, I know I can put it in the stock market and it'll grow. Um, but what is the best and the safest? And, you know, when you look at real estate and, you know, the four tenants of wealth building that come along with it, you know, ultimately I had to go with real estate. Um, but I also started looking at, hey, the cash on cash return that I want to retire. So I hadn't said this yet. My goal with real estate is to retire by the time of 40. So I'm 36 right now. I've got a little over three years to go. Um, but I don't want to retire at a conservative lifestyle. I want to retire at a lifestyle that allows me to give back to other people. Um, you know, my goal within, you know, by the time I hit that 40 goal is to be working with PTSD victims uh, full time, um, but not having to take a paycheck for it. And so when I look at that goal, you know, and I look at these properties that own down, you know, like Fayetteville, like I'm only getting about 100, 150, maybe $200 max per property. I was like, that's not, a, I mean, I was looking at, you know, one to 200 units I was going to need just to get my baseline income. I was like, what can I do to expand a little bit faster? And that's when I started looking at the multifamily. You know, you still have a, you know, the same amount of CapEx. You got this one roof, you got, you know, one set of walls, you got one, you know, foundation, but you can put two, three, four or more units into this. So, you know, my really cash flow was my uh, tipping point for that transition over. And anything up to four units, as you guys know, is, is still be sold as residential. So I didn't have to break into that commercial space in order to, push down that road. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Hey, so um, you said something key there that, that I really want to highlight on, right? Everybody talks about, hey, what's your freedom number? You know, basically what the, how many doors you need to retire, right? But you're not, you didn't just say, hey, what I need to retire, but what not, not just a conservative lifestyle, you want to retire with the type of lifestyle that you want to live, right? How do you break down that? Or one, how do you define that? And then how do you break that down for our listeners out there who are trying to do the same thing? Like, how do you break that down? What does that mean to you? Yep. So for me right now, you know, I've got the freedom that I can give to other people. I have the freedom that I'm supporting my, you know, my family. Um, and I also have the ability to reinvest back into real estate, which is a compounding growth. So for me, that fire number, that freedom number for me is a number that allows me to continue to give and, and in fact, escalating my ability to give, um, my ability to take care of my family. And if we want to do something special, maybe that, you know, we haven't done in the past, we have the freedom to do that. Um, but additionally, I want to be able to continue to compound my growth by having enough of an income buffer that I can continue to grow, even if it's only at this same pace. So basically, my goal is to uh, replace my current income that gives me the ability to compound and grow over time. And that's my fire number. So that's kind of how the three, you know, the three things that are most important to me financially um, is to take care of those three and then we're good to go. And once you do that, you can spend your time, energy and resources on what you would like to do without having to really worry about the money. So um, that, that's a that's a key important fact. And that's why we talk so much about financial freedom, right, or financial independence, man. Um, I, I love that. 
Yeah. How, how did you go? Yeah, sorry, go for it. Go for it, John. I was gonna say one, one of the great things about um, you know, where we're at right now is that you know, my wife is a nurse and she works 12-hour shifts, which are long, um, they're cumbersome and they're tiring. And compound that with she was working nights for two years. You know, one of my goals was to work her out of the job. So with my real estate income to work her to the point where she no longer has to work. Mm-hmm. And additionally, that um, she can stay home full time with her future kids and family. So, you know, looking at um, over the past nine months with the real estate income, we've been able to um, use some leverage, basically saying, hey, she's going days. And if they said no, then we say that's cool. She quits because we had the financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Um Mm. also so they send her to days which is great she's at home every night you know in bed sleeping which is great um but also she was able to cut back to two days a week so now she's at two days and in fact right now she's looking at cutting back to the equivalent of one day a week um and maybe possibly even less in the near future so designing her, you know, your lifestyle. lifestyle yeah you know, exactly. I, was, I was gone for so much of my military career and i missed out on so much of life i don't want to miss out on any more life and so I, the more I can have her home when I get off of work, the better our relationship and our lifestyle is going to be. So for me, that's super, super, super important is just having family time. And I can tell because the way that you're saying it's given me like chills, like just how the conviction that you have in your why. Now, my question is to you is this, you've been on this journey, let's say for about six years, but within that journey, when was it that you truly found your why? At what point of that six years? I don't think it happened, honestly, until December 2020, which is when this whole thing kicked off. You know, I I could have started real estate investing five years ago, but I didn't have that why answered. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until December 2020 that I realized the purpose behind what I was trying to do. And that's when my growth exploded. I love this because this and and I'm happy that you said it that way. I was hoping that was the answer, to be quite honest. Because a lot of people get discouraged when they start their journey and they don't have clarity. And understand that clarity doesn't, is not immediate. It's not automatic. It, sometimes it comes through experiences. Sometimes it's life uh, uh, incidents that happens that all of a sudden you're like, you know what, this is now my true why. And I understand it with a very clear vision. And although you were studying and still progressing, buying your living flips and you know, getting a great job and all this other stuff, it wasn't until very recently that you had a clear why. And then guess what happened, guys? He literally skyrocketed up to 29 doors in less than a year, less listening, than a year. Listening to yeah. Brandon Turner, you know, on the um, Bigger Pockets podcast, you know, they talk a lot about that vid- vivid vision and he talked about how that escalated growth for him. And so that concept of figuring out what you want to do in life and then back planning from there. I mean, we did that in the military every time, right? You know, you would figure out what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What, you know person do you want to capture and you back plan from there figure out how to get where you're going and that's basically what we've done um, my wife and I are taking a four-day trip next month that we're going to get away because I don't just want to plan this in a bubble right this is a family thing and so we're going to sit down and we're going to talk through what are the, our goals for our life what are our goals for the next 10 years for five years for three years and figure out how do we accomplish those lifetime goals um, in little steps and increments because that's going to give me better clarification and drive to get where I need to go to accomplish, not my goals, but it's gotta be our goals. Our goals. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. 
So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. I love that, man. So what? So if your wife works 12 hours, sometimes 14 hour days, what's kind of her role right now with on the, within the real estate side of mm-hmm. the business? Yep. So right now I've done most of the, uh, the real estate stuff. She's extremely supportive and trusting. Um, I would like to get to her at some point, um, helping me out with stuff. Like I, I hate like detailed work. She's really good at it. So like mm-hmm. budgeting, um, down to the finer granular details, um, help have her, you know, helping me out with utilities, things like that. I hope she listens to this because <laughs> I haven't told her everything yet, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, she's extremely supportive. She trusts me, um, which is awesome. hundred um, percent behind me. Um, you know, she likes to look at the properties and stuff. Um, but she, you know, a lot of the finer points of the actual real estate business, she doesn't know yet, but I want to get her to that point over the next few years. So let's talk about that. Go ahead. ahead. So let's dive into that a little bit, right? Because we have a lot of listeners that are in the same exact space. I'm sure you've thought about it. You know, you just said, hey, I hope she listens to this, right? So um, what is your plan to make that to make that happen, basically, like to to actually get your wife fully vested or not vested because she's already vested, but like involved into real estate? How do you plan to do that? Yep. So, you know, that's what I was talking about next week or next month going out and taking um, four days to get away. Just talk about where we want to be. You know, I'm not asking her, hey, babe, how do you want to invest in real estate? That's not my goal. My goal is, babe, what are our life goals? and How do we accomplish them? And where does real estate fall into it? Because at the end of the day, if, if real estate doesn't align with our lifestyle goals, I'll go sell my real estate, put the money into stocks or bonds or something else. Um, or some a syndication somewhere and we'll push on and move to, you know, whatever's next. But, you know, I think for her, she's already told me she doesn't want to be, at least at this point, while she's working um, at her current job, she doesn't want to be active in real estate. And I respect that, you know, I'm not trying to force her. And if I do force her, she's not going to want to do it at any point later in life. And so giving her as much space as she needs and time as she needs um, to either, you know, help out with it or not help out with it. Um, but at the end of the day, her support really is, uh, is critical um, in the success of this business. I think that's very well stated because a lot of people, again, they miss the concept of why we invest in real estate in the first place. Nobody, well, maybe a few people always knew since they were a child that they wanted to be a real estate entrepreneur, right? Nah, the reason that we invest in real estate is because we discovered at some point in our life, the freedom that it can create by investing our money. And understanding that a conversation between you and your wife to, again, have that clear vision of what the holistic family picture will look like, if real estate doesn't fit, let it go. Put it into stocks, put it into bonds, put it into rental cars, whatever. Put it into a different business. So I love the fact that at least you're honest with yourself and understanding what that real estate is a tool. It's a tool to figure out the solution uh, to, to what you guys need. Stuff, man. This is good stuff. I got a question for you. Next one. All right. So you were you were you were focusing on the military and your W two job for about. I'm trying to do the math. So 2015 to 2020. So about five years, and then you really kicked it off in 2020, and you went skyrocketing during that time. How were you actually educating yourself? Did you take any real estate courses? Were you just listening to podcasts? Were you doing case study? What were you doing to prep yourself? And how long do you think it took you before you felt confident moving forward? So I'll be honest with you, Mike. I spent 2016 to 2020 doing absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, I was so focused on my other jobs and my new, you know, the new hire, you know, W-2 job that, you know, I was collecting on. And I did absolutely nothing. It wasn't until I got a little chunk of money in the bank and I was trying to figure out where to invest it. And then again, I got bored. So I had actually had another job I was looking at, uh, a government job that would have been super, super cool, but would not have provided any amount of money for me. It would have been way well underpaid, um, but it would have been a very cool job. Um, and so I was looking at kind of those different things in 2020. Anyways, long story short, that new job fell through and I put almost a year of my life invested into getting that job. Um, when that did not happen, that was kind of, again, the board tipping point for me 
that was like, hey, I got this morning, where do I invest? And at that point, I started listening to about 30 to 35 hours of podcasts, books, and reading every single week. So you're looking at, I mean, what, 30, 60, about 120 to 180 hours every single week, starting the first week of December, all the way until March. I mean, you're looking at like a 400 hour um, worth of, um, you know, education before I bought that first duplex. I think that that low period, right? That, you know, five year period that you're talking about there. I think that's so important, even if it wasn't purely, I'm, I know my camera is kind of whacked right now, but so uh, <laughs> bear with me right there. But, uh, but I think that period is extremely important, man. Even if you weren't solely focused on real estate, you weren't out there splurging and spending, you know, you said you're making this great income, right? Mm -hmm. You were saving money. You were doing, you were taking that time to prepare because you already said that seed was already planted. And this is something that you eventually wanted to do in order to do that. Even if I'm not listening to podcasts and doing all that, the, um, all those things, you still need to prepare financially, right? I mean, I think that's the the first step in doing this. Anybody out there listening, if we're like, hey, man, I want to get into real estate, I want to get in real estate, but I'm not financially in the, in the correct position. Hey, it's going to take some time. Do your backwards planning. Be realistic with yourself. It may take some time. Of course, you can do creative strategies and there's other ways to, you know, to, uh to uh, partner with people and JV and things like that. But still, um, that financial stability is extremely important. It seems like you took those five years, you saved that money. You're like, hey, now I got a little bit of money. Now I'm going to go take a crash course on with podcast and YouTube University, right? And, yep. and um, expand my knowledge. Now I have the money and the education, and now it's time to execute. But I, I, I just want to highlight that point to our yep. listeners because- don't don't feel like, hey man, it's taken me three years before I wanted to do something. Um, I might as well give up, man. It takes that time. Sometimes it takes that just just to get yourself prepared uh, to make that next move. So well, let, me, let me talk about that real quick. So obviously we you know purchased the home in uh, 2015. Um, in 2018, I got out of the military um, and we were at about forty five thousand dollars worth of debt. So if you include the equity on our home, we were probably at a negative thirty dollars to $40,000 net worth, right? Um, but we weren't big spenders. Um, all of our debt was either in student loans or I had a few thousand dollars I owed on one of our two vehicles, um, about five, five or six thousand. Um, but we basically had no money in the bank. That was 2018. By 2020, we had um, over fifty over $35,000 worth of student loans paid off. We had the five or $6,000 on our uh, vehicles all paid off. We had zero debt, no credit cards. And in 2020, when I started investing, we had $135,000 cash in the bank. Um, so over a three year period, we went from a negative, you know, about 35, $40,000 net worth to about $150,000 net worth. Additionally, during that time, um, obviously, 2020, you've got COVID, um, you've got the real estate, you know, crazy appreciation going on. So we actually sold that property um, that we did a fix and flip in and made $86,000 cash free. Because we've lived in it to the last five years, we were able to sell that tax free. So we basically pocketed $86,000 worth of money. I used that $86,000 for two and a half down payments on multifamily properties. Yo, that, that's the piece. That's the piece that uh, that is not often talked about, right? Yes. That that time, that low period. It seems like you're not doing anything, but so much was going on. You just said you went from a negative forty five k net worth to a hundred and something k net worth. Then on top of that, because you took that first step buying that uh, that that fix and flip, just waited waited it out again. To the outside world, it seems like you're not really doing nothing. You're focused on your career, but man, there's so much going on behind the scenes that that is building your wealth. As again, prepping you to get in the right position to 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 do what you want to do, man. I, I think that's phenomenal, and and I just want our listeners to really really hone in on that piece and understand, like, hey, man, it takes some time sometimes, right? It, it might take a little bit of time. Continue to prep yourself financially and, and you'll be where you want to be, man. I think that's great. And everybody, everybody's journey is, is different, right? If we always try to compare ourselves to the individual who's buying everything right now, 
We have no idea what their internal struggles are. We have no idea if they're in debt. We have no idea if their marriage is in turmoil. We have no idea. And, you know, again, I, to commend you, you had the uh, self-awareness to sit down and realize where you were at financially and understand you, you need to get your financial house in order first prior to moving on. I mean, just to accomplish that within two years is extremely impressive because uh, I believe, and this number is going to be skewed here, but the average American's net worth is like four grand or something like that, you know, across the board. So, you know, being able to overcome that is already impressive. Then you, you have that. Let me ask you this, because the other thing I want to talk about is education here. But um, do you think that, say, 2020 came and you were bored, but you didn't have money in the bank? Would you have been as willing to invest and start in real estate? Absolutely not. I would not have been as willing. Certainly not. Yeah. So and I mean, honestly, yeah, go for it. it wasn't until I started investing that I realized I really don't even need money to invest. Right. Right. So that's, you know, I wish I'd learned this five years ago, right? Yeah. That I'd realize you don't have to have money. So I've got a, um, a property right now down in Fayetteville that I'm doing a, um, a burr on. I wow. bought it at, I mean, like pennies on the dollar. Um, and it's a, it's like a $90,000 rehab. I'm not paying the dime out of that out of my own pocket. I've got someone, a backer that bought the property is paying taxes, that's paying the contractor. All I have to do is sit here, um, you know, wait for that construction to be complete. And then I'll um, do a, you know, a, a refi mortgage on it. And then I basically own a property for free. So I didn't realize that there were things like that out there until after I started buying. I'm like, I wish I'd known this five years ago that there are people out there just looking for opportunities to give you money so you can both make a profit. So yeah, to that point then, you had, essentially you had to get educated and comfortable with real estate in general before you could even identify the opportunity for the private money to come in. And when you mentioned, you know, we're not just going to breeze over this. You were talking about 400 plus hours before you purchased this duplex, uh, 35 hours a week. That is a full-time job worth of absorbing information. I was the same exact way, but what we don't credit enough is that was clearly obsession in your self-development. You know what I mean? Like when people are like, oh, I want to learn. So I'm going to watch an hour of YouTube you know, once a month. And you know what? Not to discount anybody, because I don't know what's going on in people's lives, right? If all you can afford is one hour a month, that's fine. But understand that if you want to do 29 units in less than a year, it takes obsession. It takes constant uh, questions and inquiries and finding solutions. And oh, shit, you mean to tell me I can get private money to do this and I don't have to pay? You know what I mean? It takes that kind of curiosity. So, uh, I mean, that is that all is, uh, I don't know, counts towards, you know, your success in, in the recent time. And sometimes, you know, we have to cut things out of our life to allow us the time and opportunity. So I know for me, I actually had started a master's program um, and I was taking two classes. It was considered part-time, but two classes, I didn't realize until the first week it was going to cost me about 30 hours a week. And I sat down with my wife that Friday, you know, after, you know, we started on Monday. I sat down with her on Friday. I was like, look, I was like, this is costing me about twice as much time as I, I thought it was going to. I was like, I'm very seriously considering quitting because if I use this 30 hours, I will have zero time to invest in real estate. Now, this master's degree would have bumped my salary by about $80,000 a year. And talking to my wife, we both agreed it's not worth it because I would have had no time to do real estate. Since I quit that master's, I closed on a seven property off market portfolio deal with owner financing. Uh, 18 units that I would not have been able to close on if I hadn't stepped out of this master's degree. That is your master's degree. <laughs> Damn, master's there you go. <laughs> that is your master's degree. Oh, excellent. Ah, seller financing. See, I mean, deals like that are amazing. So let's talk about, let's talk about uh, some of the sacrifices then, because you're talking about you're pursuing a master's um, and you had to make the decision to cut it off. What else did you have to sacrifice in order to make this, you know, besides time, what did you have to sacrifice in order to pursue real estate? Yeah, obviously money. Um, I've sacrificed some sleep. <laughs> There's definitely stressors involved in it. I've been been working with a new, new property management company uh, the past few months because I fired the first three property management companies I had because they were not fulfilling their end of the bargain. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice, the time, the stress, 
uh, family time. I mean, all that's super important to me. Yeah, and I think we got to talk about those, those sacrifices. Go ahead, Dan. No, so so what I want to know about is um, we got a lot of listeners with with families, right? And I, I know you've talked about you know involving your wife, but I mean your wife's got to like really really um, trust what you're doing, right? So I imagine there's a lot of communication going on within your relationship, right? Um, how are you effectively communicating it the right way to make sure that like it doesn't just seem like hey we're blowing our we're spending all of our money on real estate um, without without her really truly being involved yeah so unfortunately i'm i'm the poor communicator in our relationship oh man uh, i know right <laughs> surprise surprise so you know surprise. she's actually even the other night she was sitting there asking me you know a few questions about real estate um you know about we had some tenant issues we're evicting one because they were intentionally damaging the property um and she was asking questions and i i, I didn't respond very well um but she's interested and she's like, hey, but I own that property too. Like you need to tell me. And so, you know, like she's getting to the point where she's getting interested in these little things and I, I need to be positive with her and give her those answers so that she will continue to ask them. So I do want her to grow um, in her understanding and involvement. In the I, game. I, I definitely ask that question because we talk about the sacrifices and oftentimes the people that are seeing the butt end of that sacrifice is our family members. You talked about loss of sleep. You talked about time. You talked about obviously money. All those things are can be stressors in relationships. And, uh, you know, most of our listeners, again, they're they in some type of relationship and they're wanting to do the same thing. So, I mean, uh, I think these important, these questions and these conversations are important to have, uh, especially, you know, again, to our listeners. So, yeah. yeah. So well, one, with one that, thing, yeah, go for it. With my wife as well, you know, I, wanting to move into a new property right so i got this va loan i've been sitting on for a while and it's like it's ready it's ready and i'm like if i rented out my property as is i would make like almost 600 bucks a month uh cash flow and i'm like babe like we need to move into a new property she's like okay but you need to get me a property in our neighborhood and it's got to be nicer than our current one and so you know for her it's like in you know so obviously being a disabled veteran i don't pay state taxes in virginia which saves me like almost 600 bucks a month which is awesome. Um, you know, when you talk about that difference in a monthly mortgage. And so, you know, if it actually makes living in this neighborhood in a new house, um, you know, in, in an area where my wife feels safe and comfortable, it makes it doable. And so for her, she's like, she's on board with it, but she's like, you know, throw me a little bone though in the whole exchange. She's like, you know, I just did a fix and flip down uh, about two and a half miles from our house. And she's like, I'm not moving there. Like, so for her, that was her deadline because she didn't like the neighborhood. You know, for her neighborhood's all about it. And so, you know, in this relationship with your family, it's about give and take. She's like, hey, I don't care that you spend the money to invest in real estate, but if we're moving, I've got a few things you got to learn ahead as well. And that's so that, that give and take in that relationship is important. And that's something that I've had to learn as well through my investing journey. I'm in a, I'm a dual military uh, couple, just, you know, for you guys out there who are listening. So definitely had to kind of learn that, that communication piece and really, really involving uh, the wife and family because they get a vote, man. Like we're, we're also what you're trying to do. Uh, your family definitely gets a vote in um, what you're doing if you want your family to stay together. <laughs> yeah. yep. And so my question to you, man, because on, on the same vein of family, how has your real estate journey in, impacted your relationship with your other family, your siblings, your mom, your dad, have they, you know, seen this as like a success? Has it changed anything about the conversation of money? This yes, so it's interesting. My parents have actually bought two single family homes in the past, like three to four years um, and they're renting them out. Um, they paid cash for them. They have a different philosophy. They kind of follow the Dave Ramsey mindset. Yep. So, you know, they're, but they're also at retirement age. So they want a okay. investment where they've got a safe monthly cash flow it's steady. They don't have to worry about the market, um, you know, going up or going down for appreciation, depreciation. So for them, it's steady. Um, I've got a little brother right now who's, and actually a sister as well. They're both looking at purchasing their first um, property that they're looking at getting roommates. So they want a house hack. Um, mm -hmm. So they're both looking at that. Um, Caleb's also looking at uh, maybe some fix and flip work as well. Um, and all that's kind of happened since what I'm doing. I actually talked to my little other brother um, earlier this week and he just bought his family a second property. And he's like, hey, what do you guys think about like holding this as a rental? So I called him up. I was like, uh, yeah, I ran the numbers for him. And then I sent him the information so he can run his own numbers. And I was like, this yeah. is exactly what I do to run my numbers. 
I was like, look at these and you look at them like, you know, you figure out if it's going to be the right investment for you, but everything I'm seeing, man, you're actually going to make money every month, even after doing a cash out refinance and paying off all of your debt. So how does this, how does this make you feel like to, to know that you are truly changing the trajectory of your entire family? You're so, so right. You know, like, again, we grew up from humble beginnings. You know, we had people dropping off food on our doorstep. I started my first hourly job at the age of six, making $3 an hour. You know, like I've, I've been hustling all my life and, you know, my family has as well. And not, we don't have wealth, but I'm starting to see some decision-making, honestly, in the past five years with a lot of my family members that are really converting to wealth. You know, I see, you know, my, my parents, unfortunately, are going to have to work until, you know, for probably several more years, especially my dad. Um, in order to retire, you know, I see my yeah. in-laws so they are going to have to work for a while to retire. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to have this time to spend with my family. And so seeing my family have the opportunity to grow in their asset class as well and improve themselves is phenomenal. Like, I don't just want this for me. Well, it's just not, it's not personal. Wealth right. is about helping people around you. I love, I love how you said that wealth is about helping people around you. I 110% agree. Uh, the last little follow-up question I had on that was, so a lot of, I've personally experienced this and a, a lot of people I've talked to, they get frustrated when the family doesn't listen about, hey man, I'm, I'm trying to help you. Like, mom, I'm trying to help you. You need to do this. And they don't want to listen. Did you ever try to force this on your family? Did you always, did you, were you strategic in how you kind of drop breadcrumbs in conversations? What was your approach to trying to like bring them into the fold? Yeah, so I mean, obviously you approach them and see if they're interested. If they're not interested, like I, you know, we, we've got a fair, you know, diversity of different beliefs, whether you're talking about money or politics or, you know, right. whatever it is within the family. And that's okay. You know, we can still have good conversations about it. And if someone disagrees, Hey, that's fine, man. But at the same time, being like, Hey, this is what's working for me. And, you know, without being, you know, um, they say, you know, on the money podcast that personal finances are personal. So without trying to, you know, throw out, you know, what I'm, you know, specific numbers, I'm like, Hey, this will really help you long-term. I promise. And then explaining why and just showing, you know, how real estate or even the stock market, you know, if you're looking at the simple path of wealth, whatever it is, can help you in your long-term journey. And I think the key thing with that also is uh, just being prepared. I mean, you you drop the seed, right? Just kind of kind of like you. It's almost the same thing with, with you guys' story. You just, you don't know exactly what's going on in, in someone's head or in someone's life, right? But I mean, you got the, you said you got the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad a while back. So that started the seed. Even though you weren't prepared to do anything for three, four, five years, I'm sure you followed up with Mike and saw other people around you, uh, you know, consistently doing, uh, doing great things within the real estate space, right? And eventually, once you get to that point, you're actually able to reach out to those people that first introduced you and now, you know, continue to grow that way. So just being able, just being available and being prepared and being ready for when that family member does finally decide or eventually, you know, decides, hey, this is something that I want to do. Being able to be that sounding board of that person that they reach out to knowing that, you know, um, they didn't hate me just because I didn't want to do what you know, they introduced me to originally. I'm not sure if that made sense, but I, I think you get what I'm saying there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we, we talked to, I mean, this is the type of conversations I'm really starting to enjoy having with individuals is kind of see where their mind's at going through the struggles, like emotionally, uh, you know, your journey of self-awareness along the way, but we do want to talk about real estate. And, and to be honest, the one deal I really want to focus on is this damn seller financing 18 unit thing that you're talking about here. So if you could give us a rundown, give us a rundown of how you sourced it, how you found it, mm-hmm. kind of how the negotiations went, right? In order for you to get seller financing and just a general overview of what the numbers may look like, like purchase price, renovation and overall cash flow, something like that. Yep. All right. So I'm still in the process of doing some of that. So doing some of the renos, but we'll run through it real quick. Um, so, you know, when I started purchasing properties in December, 2020, my name got out there, right? Um, I've closed on, you know, like four or five properties within like a nine month period um, there in Canton, Ohio, where I'm investing. And then as I, I closed on a couple down in Fayetteville as well. So I got my name out there because everyone's seeing, hey, who's this guy that moved in and he's buying these properties? You know, my real estate agent's like, hey, I got this deal, come, you know, John, come buy it. I know you've got money. 
<laughs> um, which sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but you know, he would bring it to me regardless because he's seeing that I'm making an offer and I'm closing on the deals. He also saw that, um, you know, in this market with the crazy appreciation, I was able to go at times over asking price in order to close on the unit because I knew the numbers still made sense. Um, and so I wasn't trying to nickel and dime them. I realized that, you know, one or $2,000 isn't going to make a difference in my long-term, you know, growth. And so they, they, they saw, um, you know, these numbers. So anyways, I was reaching out to some people I knew up in, uh, up in the Canton area and my brother-in-law's baseball coach from high school happens to be a real estate agent. And I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I've actually got a buddy who might be interested in selling this property. It was like a one time, like he wasn't even like asking me if I was interested in buying. He just mentioned it to me. So I followed up with him a week later. I was like, hey, so what's what's going on with your buddy? Is he trying to sell? He's like, ah, I'm not sure. He's not really sure. Followed up the next week. Hey, what's going on with you? Andy? Is Andy selling his properties? Ah, he's still not sure. He's on the fence. I followed this thing for about three months. Every week. Followed up on this. And month three, he's like, yeah, yeah. Actually, Andy decided he wants to go ahead and sell. And he doesn't want to sell, put it on the commercial market. He actually wants to sell to you. And so three months later, after following up on this deal, um, the real estate agent put it on the market only because he was an agent in order to make his commission, he had to do it. But talking through terms, he's like, yeah, because for me, I was like, hey, I, I can only have up to 10 loans at a time, but it's possible for me to buy seven properties. He's like, well, what about seller financing? Like, yeah, heck yeah. So he went and he talked to his... Uh, did you bring up, sorry, did you bring up seller financing or he did? I did. Yep. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Yep. Keep on. So he went to a CPA and he's like, you know, cause he, he just, he's looking at retirement. He wants to get consistent paycheck for the next 15 years. And he knows that, um, that, you know, taxes are going to bite him in the rear if he just, you know, sells it once. So long story short, it worked for him to do seller financing. So we agreed at 20% down. Um, and since he was doing seller financing, I, I took him up at the 4.5% interest rate, which I know is a little bit higher than what we're getting right now. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 4.5% is nothing. Yeah. And, and he paid all the closing costs. I didn't pay a dime out of pocket minus the down payment. Um, we agreed on the purchase price at um, 510000 for the seven properties, so 30K a pop. He was actually originally asking 35K per unit, dropped it down to 30. Um, and that was why I went with the four and a half percent interest rate because he dropped that. Um, so long story short, you know, we I got this uh, got this investment property, 17 units. It's got two garages that are including the 17 units that I'm running down as well. So really, it's at 19 units, um, and it's on a 15 year fixed rate. And yeah, pay him monthly. So I'm paying the money I'm paying to him every month is 3,300. Currently making. 8900 a month and it's about $4,500 under market value because he had some renters in there as long as 17 years that he hasn't raised rent. So I'm looking at about another 4500 So basically I'm cash flowing on it uh, about $3,000 a month after paying property management, um, insurance, taxes, all that stuff, about $3,300 a month um, with an additional $4,500 $4, a month that should be coming in in the next six months when you get all these units up to market rent. So I only closed on that 30 days ago. So. Yeah. Hey, congratulations, man. That's a home run deal right there. Hell yeah. That's a home run deal, man. That's awesome. So, so I bought it at 510. Um, yep. It was like 40 days ago. Right now it's worth about 640. So, so I am working right now with a commercial lender to do a portfolio loan where they will do a cash out for me um at a 80 percent loan to value which you guys can run that numbers whatever it is but i think it's about one hundred and ten thousand dollars that i'm looking to cash out which will give me my entire down payment plus some additional money i'm going to take and invest in another property somewhere nice so see this right no money out of pocket this, so this is a beautiful this is almost a perfect bird deal on a multifamily portfolio and again, just to show that you only started studying seriously nine months ago or whatever it's been, right? And that is an incredible journey because you showed the dedication and the commitment to, to learning it. Uh, I mean, and let me ask you this. When you went and you offered him seller financing, did you know 
uh, all the benefits of seller financing and how to structure seller finance? Or did you say, hey, I'm going to figure it out along the way? No, I, no, I had no idea. Yeah, see, <laughs> I, I just I just knew I couldn't get a conventional mortgage on it. And I didn't want to go commercial because I didn't know how to do that either. So I was like, seller financing sounds great. And see, that's how, you know, for the audience who doesn't know, that's how I got my first subject to deal. Is I didn't know what the fuck it was, but I told him, hey, I'll, I'll figure it out. There's this thing called sub two. I'll, you know what I mean? But but again, man, just a great way of, uh, of, you know, just being confident in the moment and just communicating and problem solving. That's all you did. And bow, the property came down. So me, the way my mind works, I always think uh, very uh, uh, structurally, I guess, or checklist wise, like an algorithm. So as you were talking through the story, I was making a checklist. And so now, you know, the people listening, this is pretty much what you did. You build credibility or you built credibility first and foremost by doing what you say. You made offers and you closed. And I love how you said, hey, I might pay a little bit more because the numbers work. The only way that you can do that is when you know your metrics. So uh, we, I, we always say that on the show, but there goes proof right there. After you met, build credibility, then you networked and you started talking with everybody. And all of a sudden you found your brother-in-law's baseball coach from 18 years ago that, that wasn't, you know what I mean? But you networked, you talked, you met people. And then from there, even though it was brought to your attention, you didn't get it on day one. You had to do follow-up. We speak on follow-up so damn much on this podcast because I think people don't realize that that is 90% of the work, is the follow-up. And it took you three months later before you finally had the conversation. After the follow-up, you then negotiated. And, you know, we got, we got you know, we've been trained on negotiation all goddamn day, every day. We got books, we got everything. Ultimately, what you did was problem solve. You figured out that he he's about to retire. He wants cash flow and he doesn't want to pay capital gains tax. Uh, Google, uh, you know, uh, WebMD for real estate. Oh, uh, yeah. Selling finance. Right. You figured it out. And then, boom, after that, you had favorable terms. You made your you, you ran the numbers right. You negotiated it right. And now literally 30 days later, or it may need a little bit of seasoning. It doesn't matter. You already have an exit strategy lined up to refinance him, get him all his money and do your thing, man. So, again, great, great job. I'm really hoping that the audience heard that goddamn story man and is pumped by it <laughs> oh, man. Stuff, man. so so what's next for you all right we, we we just said we just talked about hey you want to retire in three and a half years you just uh you're refinancing out of your your uh your portfolio loan right now and what's the next step what's the next step to get you to your to your free number and to get you to retirement that's a good question um right now i am in a semi-reconsolidation phase so I've got all these properties I've purchased. Um, I've got a new property manager in the past um, 60 days. So we're working to, like I said, get these um, all these units up to market value. What I don't want to do is expand so fast that I don't have cash reserves. And so I'm being extremely cautious right now. Um, but I do have kind of a couple of strategies that I'm looking at um, probably four to six months from now. So I'm looking at short-term rentals in the Smoky Mountains. Um, I've already reached out to somebody. I learned the harder way that you have to have a property manager first and a real estate agent and a lender before you can buy a property. So um, learned, you know, I've learned some lessons along the way, but looking at short-term rentals, uh, looking at popping into that, you can get a, um, a vacation rental once a year um, as a, with 10% down. So looking at doing that every year for the next um, you know, four years or probably forever. Um, in addition to that, I'm looking a little bit at, um, some storage units. So I've got some buddies that have been doing that for a while and I'm looking at maybe jumping in with them doing one deal where I basically bring the equity, um, bring the money, and then I'll work with them jointly so that I can learn that business and see if it's something that I want to expand into. Um, but ultimately, I think the big thing I'm looking at right now for the next one is looking at larger commercial apartment buildings. So I know that there's some phenomenal ways to build wealth that way. I'm working with a commercial real estate agent right now to kind of figure out um, all the paperwork and documentation needed um, to get into that space, already started that process. Um, but really, I think I'm probably about four to six months out from that. But again, once I start moving into these larger rental spaces, you can expand very quickly. As you know, if I buy a 20-unit apartment building, I mean that's 30, you know, uh, almost half my current portfolio. You know, so you can start building very quickly, utilizing some of those uh, some of those resources. Excellent. So this is, we're going to start wrapping up the show here, but I had, I thought about how I wanted to ask this. And so this is going to be purposeful for you. It's a little, it's a little different. If you had to offer one piece of advice for people who get bored easily within their profession to get started in real estate investing, what would it be? 
I would say go online, do your research. So actually, so I, I went to a forum last week. I thought it was a meetup. It turned out that they were pitching a presentation. They wanted to yeah. charge you two to $20,000 a year to do their learning education program. I walked out in the middle of it, all right? So go online, get your free self-education. Once you're educated, just do it, right? So you can educate yourself all day long well, the market totally passes you by. Get your education. Once you have your education, buy a single family unit. You might not make money on that first unit and that's okay because it's an education in and of itself. Just get started. Don't be too scared. If, you get, if you're too scared to get started because you don't know enough, you'll never get started because you will never know enough to feel safe when you start out. Just make that plunge. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's a super key to take action. Bottom line, you know, get educated, take action. That's, that's, yeah. uh, ends up being what it is, right? Yeah, Cause you'll never, you'll never, like you said, you'll never know enough. There's stuff that we always will learn every day, every day. Warren Buffett is still learning, right? All the people that we, we say are the top of the food pyramid when it comes to the financial world, they're still learning. So uh, I love, and you know, we talk about taking action, but again, it's, the fact that the little piece that you said there that really sticks out is you may not make money. Doesn't matter. Do the damn deal because that's how you're going to learn. And then the next one, you can make money. And then the fourth deal, you buy 17 units off, <laughs> off market, seller finance. All right. So now everybody's hearing your story, man. Um, people want to know just more about you, more about your journey. Where can people find you? Yeah. So um, email is the best way to get a hold of me. John buys houses quick at gmail.com. Um, best way to get a hold of me. I'm not on social media. Um, with my military experience, I have a massive aversion to social media. I know it's going to hurt me in the real estate space. I've considered an Instagram and a Facebook page. I don't have any of that yet. If you want to get a hold of me, reach out to me at John quick at gmail.com. I'm currently looking for wholesalers um, and also solid contractors in the Fayetteville market, um, in the like Canton, Akron, Cleveland market. And also, and especially in the uh, the Northern Virginia, like around DC market. So any wholesalers, any contractors, um, anybody just doing real estate, reach out to me. Would love to uh, get together offline, pick somebody's brain, just kind of talk through how we can do some business together. Perfect. I got a couple of wholesalers out in the Fayetteville area. I'll connect you with, man. Heck yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you say the aversion to social media. It, it took. It's a journey for me, and now I'm kind of like all in it. But even mm -hmm. then, or even now, should I say, I'm still a little. Uh, I, I double, I think twice, you know, about everything I post, but I'm trying to get better at it, but yeah, something about that military, man. Even coming on this podcast, I'm like, oh man, it's yeah. based on public media. Yeah. <laughs> I think it speaks volumes, man, that you're doing, you've done what you've done without social media. And that, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I, I look at it. I immediately thought about the flip side, man, maybe, maybe I actually can get off of social media. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that's, I think that's dope. But hey, man, uh, we really appreciate you coming on, John. And you, you just dropped some gems today. And I hope our audience, I know our audience got a uh, great value, a lot of value out of um, everything you, you said there and your story and your journey. It's just been uh, phenomenal, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me today. It's been a blast. Excellent. Um, if you're listening to this on a uh, podcast, make sure you leave us a review. We really appreciate those. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that notification bell, hit the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Um, I'm sure. Well, I would say John's going to be on there, but probably not. <laughs> that is social media. It's fine. It's I'll, fine. Come, I'll come by and check you out. I'll come yeah, by. Uh, so we'll, we'll answer those. We'll answer those uh, questions for you if you have them, uh, if you write the comment down below and in YouTube. Um, and with that, this is Dan Wynn. Mike Glassby. Signing off.